yeah, that is some new music here on the Extra Basis podcast. New music only because the man on the other side of the screen requested it. Let me read the text. It was, hey, by the way, I think we need to change our theme music. <laughs> and my first res- my first thought was, great, more work for me. Why <laughs> Why do you feel that we needed to change our theme music? Uh, you know, it's just time. It's been five years, and, and this, uh, <clears throat> you know, this podcast has been been honest. It's well listened to around Major League Baseball. It's a little bit aggressive. Um, it's focused. It's uh, um, insightful, but it's a little edgy. You know, we need something a little edgy, a little something to, you know, look, I'm wearing a goatee. I'm wearing a goatee this winter, a little bit of gray down in this area. So you need something to match it, and um, I think I think it fits pretty well. Okay. All righty. I agree. I agree. Again, it's just more work for me, but that's okay, Jeremy. I do all the heavy lifting. I would be on the bottom of your scouting board because I have to lift everything with this podcast. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about that. You got, you know, you, uh, there's a lot of production work that goes on your side that I don't have to do. I get to, I get to show up and talk. It's beautiful, yep. but I did pick the music. I did pick the music this time. Yeah. All right. So the clock is running. Today on the Extra Basis Podcast, we're going to be talking about all that money being thrown around, a lot of it coming from one direction. Also, expectations during this lockout. Also, Carlos Correa sitting on the sidelines for now. What does that mean for him and the Astros? The Astros making a move reportedly in their front office. That is all today on the Extra Basis Podcast. So... Jeremy, all this money being thrown around. $500 million from one team, the two players, the Texas Rangers with Seager and Simeon. I don't think either of us guessed that that one team would land those two guys. I I think the um, expectation with Marcus Simeon was that he was going to play short. And... Um, at least with me, it was that he was going to play short. And I had, you know, deleted somehow that in Toronto he had played second base, which is where it makes sense. Um, at this stage in his, in his in his career, that's better for his legs. That's better. It's more offensive production. Um, he had a he had and this word is thrown around a lot by some people, but it's historic. He had a historic year last year. It's a great year in Toronto. He's a he's a he's an excellent player. Um, he's got a chance to do this, do some really good damage in Texas. And look, I mean, you know, coming from the Bay area, which is probably where he was headed outside of, of Texas for the Rangers to come in and get that done is a credit to them and a credit to him. I mean, he earned every bit of that money. And so that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, Corey Seager is our first 10 year contract of the, of the postseason of this year. And, you know, 10 to three twenty-five. whether it's an overpay, whether it's not, is irrelevant. It's the cost of doing business. And left-handed bat, guy that can play short, uh, the bat projects to carry all 10 years of the contract. He can slide over, play third if he has to. Um, you know, he's got some injury history, but he's great in the clubhouse. He's great in the media. He's great with the fans. He's loved around the league, and that's important, what I just said. Great in the clubhouse, great with the fans, loved around the league. Goes out and handles his business a certain way, it makes it easy to write those checks. Now, look, 10-year contracts don't ever, you know, don't usually work out well, all right? Um, in this particular case, he's got a chance to, but it was the cost of new business to get the player, and good for Corey. 
I loved him as an amateur. He's been great as, great as a pro. Good for him. Corey Seager's war this year was 3.7. I'm guessing Marcus Simeon is right around that number as well. Is it worth all that money for an eight-game improvement in the standings? <clears throat> well, it depends. Numbers-wise, of course. It, it, they're not done. They have more to do with their team. I mean, they, they did sign um, John Gray. Uh, they signed, uh, I want to say, a couple other arms as well in some smaller transactions. So, you know, look, if all those wins and all those in the war stat, just using that alone, if they get from the five guys they sign and two of them get – two guys get them eight, the five guys they sign end up, end up getting them, uh, you know, 12 to 15, that's essentially 80 and 92, right? And that's a big difference. That's sub-500 to make in the postseason, potentially. They're not done yet. The Rangers have a history – um, and this is no slight at the Houston club, but the Rangers have a history of paying some significant contracts. Um, Alex Rodriguez, uh, Sin Shu Chu, uh, you know, there's, you know, uh, Elvis, Elvis Andrus, even Ronan Odor. I mean, these guys are throwing away money like they don't believe it exists. It's like, here, this is free. Go ahead, take it. And, and so I don't think that them signing contracts like this to, to get those wins is out of character. Matter of fact, I think they love it. I think this organization loves spending money. The amount of money that John Daniels has had to spend in whatever amount of years, 20 plus, he's been in Texas without winning a World Series is mind-boggling. It is a it is billions upon billions. And they were done with those billions. They found more billions and they spent it and zero World Series wins, but they still spend the money. So um, you know, I think Corey Seeger is a better player than that in a full year when he's healthy. I think Simeon. Um, has a chance to to you know do a lot of a lot of damage and, and help them win a lot of games. Um, if you told me that those two guys accounted for eight wins, I'd have laughed. I've been like, nope, it's above replacement. I've been like, nope, those guys are fifteen to twenty win impact players because what they do offensively, defensively, and how they do it. So, you know, for me, um, that those are two gigantic signs for that club. But you know what? It's not enough. They got to get got to go finish the job. So Marcus Simeon, I should take that back he's at eight so eight and four is 12 which well, is basically what you just what you just said so hi bernie <laughs> bernie making another appearance it's so funny you and i will talk beforehand and we'll never hear anything from bernie and then bernie just shows up yeah, I don't know. Burn has, I think it's your voice. I think he hears Jason. It's like, hey, Jason, what's up, man? How's it going? Is there a loon owl outside? Maybe I should bark. No, he's good. He's like, you know, he's got the he's got the Bernie dome is what he's got going. So when you look at this lockout, does it really come down to making sure every team does its best to field a winner? Or the way each team is, or the way teams will structure themselves moving forward when it comes to competitive balance? Let me answer this uh, two ways. And I have to answer it by going back, I think, to the, the previous talk about the Rangers and the money they've spent. And, and hey, you know what? Surprise, this is going to make some people uncomfortable. I know that I have a difficult time doing that with what I say. But, you know, it's going to make people uncomfortable. Every single owner in Major League Baseball should be looking around at the amount of money they're spending in free agent contracts to try to win a World Series or at least compete for one 
and ask themselves why with scouting departments and player development departments and pro scouting and trades and all the different ways of doing things today, which are numbers only, why they have to spend this much money. Because if they knew what they were doing, man, they shouldn't they be nailing this in the draft? Shouldn't this development be working out? Shouldn't the Reds, after two years of Voldemort, Kyle Bodie, be up there sitting there and building this into a situation where it's a pitching powerhouse? Did I miss that? Maybe I missed the parades. Maybe it's me. Maybe I didn't understand it. Maybe I had my head somewhere. What I do know is that if you got to spend a billion dollars in free agency and there's still 300 free agents out there, you are making mistakes in your own system. So anybody who had to spend this money needs to go back and figure out where that disconnect is because it's not about the free agents getting their money. Good for those guys. Get paid. You earn it. Go ahead and do it. It is about the process that is broken in a million different ways. Now, trans taking that to the question you just asked me, this CBA is about fixing that process. This CBA from the player's side is about doing away with the notions that are beyond silly of we're going to let fan war dictate what arbitration people get paid in arbitration. You know, some of these other, some of these things are not that far apart on, you know, they, they kind of tend to agree, you know, free agency at 29 and a half. And so we're talking about, you know, no service time versus five years. I mean, we're not talking about some gigantic deal there. We agree at 29 and a half. It's just some, some minor things to work out around it. This is about fixing the process. This is about finding a way to get, well, sensible baseball people back in the game to make decisions. And it's not, it's not on the coaching side or on the uh, front office side. It's everywhere. It's we're not we don't want teams to lose or try to lose to go ahead and get these early round draft picks because number one, they're not winning with that. They're just pocketing their profits. You don't see these teams no, no until COVID. Nobody cried poor. Everybody was making money. Values of the franchise are going up, and people are putting cash in their pockets. What you have is people like, um, well, the Baltimore Orioles run by one Michael Elias, who have seemingly mastered the tanking philosophy. We're going to win six games this year and lose 120, 142 or whatever it is, and we're going to turn around and we're going to go ahead and pick one in the draft, and then we're going to miss, by the way, on that one in the draft. Now, they didn't miss on Rutschman. Kerstad, bottom line is you have to be able to do a lot more than that than just get that one pick. That's not how the draft works. And that's not how baseball works as far as winning, make, building a winning organization and building a club. The more, all longer these clubs go with these guys, with these, these people, because it is now a um, a very a gender integrated game, and it should be. There's very qualified women that are good at this and and understand this game better than a lot of men. When it comes down to to how we're approaching it, if we're approaching it with people that are unqualified to make decisions because the process is broken, then we're going to have people tanking. We're going to have player salaries suppressed. Fan interest is going to go down. We'll have these boring, boring outcomes. Everybody's swinging and missing and, and 100 mile an hour fastballs off the backstop. And we're going to have all this stuff that doesn't work anymore. And that's what this CBA is about. Stop this playing with the baseballs, changing the baseballs midseason without telling anybody is dishonest. Fix that stuff. Let's get back and let's get to a competitive game that's built properly so the fans can enjoy it, the players can enjoy it, and, and people want to be part of it again. I just – it boggles my mind how every CBA owners want a system to save them from themselves. Because, listen, if this game was hurting, we wouldn't be seeing two guys getting 
half a billion dollars. So every time I see this stuff, it just boggles my mind why people fall into this spell that, oh, these teams have lost so much money this year. And yes, they have. Or the year before. But that's only because they're expecting X amount of dollars, which is more money than you and I and most people can even dream of. So this notion that these teams are hurting just boggles my mind. Well, there isn't one player out there who expects to make more money than the owner. Owners take the risk. Owners put up the salaries. Owners have all the expenses. What the players are saying is you can go ahead and hire every analyst you want. You can hire every scout you want, and, be, and these people should get paid appropriately for what they do. But without us, nobody's watching this thing, and they're just going to go stare at an empty stadium. And I would, I would say it this way. When was the last time you showed up to watch an analyst compute his numbers? Did 50,000 people go watch that? Do you? Are you calling me and say, hey, JB, we got to get down there. we got to cover this. Hey, when you go to the winter meetings, you don't know what you do. Go grab, grab the stats guy. No, you're not. It's a part of the it's a part of the puzzle. What you're saying is, hey, what are the players doing? And the players of the show, um, it doesn't mean that they ha- they have a right to be selfish and that it's all about them because it isn't. There's a lot more that goes into it besides them showing up, but they are the entertainment part. And so for they're the ones that bring the people to the ballpark. They deserve to be paid like it. And the owners are making money. And, and, and more to the point, the owners need to look themselves in the mirror and ask why they're allowing some of these hires to go on and some of the, why they're spending so much money now when they thought they were saving it by tanking and having bad drafts and bad player development by listening to people that never understood what it meant. Okay. And if there's anything I can say about that, that's how you get to this point right now. You get draft play people, they don't make it, or they do make it, but your systems are terrible, and you got to go pay for it in the free agent market. Instead of developing your own, your own, your own players. That is the problem because you don't have the people in place to do it. This CBA from the player's side is about fixing it from the owner's side. It's about, oops, I'm sorry, I just used two different baseballs and didn't tell you. I found a, a, a livelier baseball when pitchers were going to be free agents. And then I gave a heavier baseball that's a little more dead with how, how it plays when those hitters are going to be free agents. That's dishonest. Doesn't matter how you put it, that's dishonest. So the game needs a lot of correction when it comes to playing a level playing field. And the players are absolutely right in asking for that. Why do you think Carlos Correa is comfortable waiting through a lockout to sign with a team? I think that we're assuming that he's comfortable with that question. So I would, I'm going to reframe it back to you. And I'm going to say the guy don't have a choice. The reason why I didn't have a choice is because as talented as Carlos Correa is, the ask that is out there, the league has said is too much for him. If it wasn't too much for him, he'd have got it. Just like Corey Seager got 10 and 325. Okay. Now, we can sit there and debate and we can get sensitive because, you know, people, they can get sensitive and we can talk about, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And, oh, what about this? And you're, you know, you wish and you're a bit. If Carlos Correa, if the, the league, if Major League Baseball's 30 clubs felt that Carlos Correa was worth 10 years and let's, we don't know what the real ask is, but we know we've, let's assume it's above Lindor. 10 years and 350 million, he would have it. Marcus Simeon's got seven to 175. Javi Baez has six and 140. 
um, uh, uh, Syndergaard got 21 for one. Like he would have they, the Strowman signing tonight. Strowman, the guy who decided to, to, to like a, a tweet that was a little bit, um, well, ethnically biased on a reporter, you know, in, in the New York media um, has signed a contract and Carlos Correa has not. I mean, that, that's, it, that tells you what they think. Now, look, some of this I think is unfair. You know, I think that he's still getting, he's having some stuff held held against him from 2017. I really do. But I think that's more about him, how he's handled it. Now, he may have been better. He was certainly fine for the city of Houston. Um, but when it comes to going to New York, I told you from the beginning that wasn't going to happen. I said that right away. I said, the Yankees aren't going to do it. And the Mets don't want anything to do with it. And I said, the Yankee fans want, want no part of it. Right. And sure enough, now you see all these the Yankee fans want no part of Carlos Correa. They're good. Um, the Mariners is not a fit. It's not a fit with uh, the Angels are going to go short term window. The Dodgers resigned Chris Taylor is not a fit there. Now he's not a fit in Texas. You know, he's not a fit in San Diego. You know, this is a guy who just won, won a platinum glove, right? Platinum glove. He's not going to want to move off a of short. And he should. He's the best, short, best defense shortstop in the league, right? But at the end of the day, no one wants to pay him that much money. So I think Carlos has to kind of look himself in the mirror and ask himself why. Um, and I don't think he's real comfortable. I think he thought he would have his money before any of these guys got theirs. I think he's going to come back to Houston. I think he should have been back in Houston. He finishes his career in Houston. And I think that it's a, a contract, like I said, seven and 250 with the player option and a couple of vesting options to get to your 10. You take it and you run with it. Maybe an opt out after three. When you look at the money he's asking and you look at his career, it's no great secret. Like he's a, he's a solid all-star, but he's not a superstar, right? I mean, he's just, he's not a superstar. When I would think the superstars of the game, I don't know if I would mention Carlos Correa. Is he clutch? Yes, clutch. Ice in his veins? Yeah. Willing to bet on himself? A defender? Plus, plus, plus? Yeah. But superstar? I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But that hasn't stopped teams in the past from giving non-superstars superstar money. Um, I think it's a fair, that's a fair thing to say, but I think the reason that we don't consider him a superstar is because of stuff like this. I think if you look at his game, right, you look at that, the way he, he performs, you look at the defensive presence, you look at the hustle component when he's out there, all of that says superstar. The production has never matched up to, to superstar. It's not 45 home runs like Simeon. Um, it's not a 330 bat. You know what I mean? It's not 120 RBIs. It's a good, very good offensive player. It's a very good offensive player, but it's not a top five offensive player. It is a, a, a very, very talented and exceptional defensive shortstop. But when you put that stuff together at a premium position, that becomes a very valuable player. And so I, I feel like you're right. He's not a top five producer. I mean, he's a six hitter on his own team or a five hitter on his own team. He's got better offensive players there. It doesn't mean he's bad, but he plays shortstop and that's hard to find. Now I talked about this a while ago, a few years ago with Alex Bregman. And I, I've said this a lot. I said, Alex Bregman has made gigantic monumental planet universe size steps in leadership in maturity in interaction with teammates, the guy's smiling all the time. He's enjoying what he's doing. He's interacting with people properly. It's fun to watch Alex Bregman be Alex Bregman now. It's fun. There was a time when it wasn't all that fun. To his 100% credit, 
he has grown up and stepped up and made made this, you know, as much of his team as anybody else. The city and Alex Bregman go hand in hand now, and it's a credit to him. Um, but Carlos Correa, when you're doing – it wears on people. No one should ever tell him that he shouldn't be himself. That's him, man. Houston, they love you. Do that all you want, and that's why you belong here. But around the league, when you do that in enough parks, on the backs of what happened, that's very unfortunate that all of these guys are going to have to carry to a degree the rest of their careers. Um, it makes people not want to pay you. He'll get his money. It's going to be here. It's just not going to be that. Unless, unless there's a landing spot I can't think of. Um, you know, if the Angels get desperate and they do something, maybe they'll do it. But I don't, I don't see seven years in 300 or 10 years of 350 for Carlos. I just don't see it. Marcus Stroman, I think 25 mil a year. And that's, I mean, that's a lot, but if they're paying Marcus Stroman 25 million a year, not to say he's not worth it. It's just we talk about that personality stuff, right? Javi Baez, 23 million a year, you know, um, and look, and, and the Mets, to be honest with you, man, they, they broke that clubhouse up. No one's, no one's saying that. Um, they spent a little bit of money. They brought some more stabilizing personalities in there. They, they broke up the, the clubhouse, which was a little bit toxic. You know, Lindor has his own presence. Baez has, Baez has his own presence. Strom has his own presence. Um, you know, there was an issue with Lindor and McNeil, right? Those guys are still there, but some of the other guys that may have assisted with that or not. So, um, you know, Correa, look, Correa's got to look inside himself and ask him why he's the one left on the board. Trevor Story is probably going to sign. Um, it'll be the Yankees or it'll be Seattle. It'll be a two or three year deal or a five year deal with an opt out. I'm betting that's going to be Seattle um, over New York. I thought he'd land in Texas, but they went for Seager and Simeon. So, uh, you know, the landing spots, these big money free agents are are, uh, are running thin. And Chris Bryant's still out there, too. And he will play third base and he will go play the outfield and not push short. So we'll see. Jeff Passon saying that Marcus Stroman signed a three-year, $71 million deal that includes an opt-out after the second season. $25 million in 2022, $25 million in 23, and $21 million in 24. It includes escalators of $2 million for 160 innings pitched in 22 and 23. Yeah, and, that, and that's, a, that's a deal. You know, the shorter-term deals with high AAV to maximize productive years is it makes a lot more sense on both sides. The players want longer terms and they want guaranteed money. And the owners correctly, and this is where they're getting the, this is where the, the, this is correct. You don't need analysts to do this stuff because we've had enough of these longer contracts to, to know they don't work, but using what your resources are have correctly identified that 10-year contracts don't work. They don't work out. I was in Seattle when we signed Robinson Cano. That was the culture of the time. You had to do that. That deal is not good the last four years of the contract. It should have been a six-year deal. Okay. And that's what you're running into with some of these guys. And people don't want to spend, you know, $180 million over four years. It doesn't make any sense. They'd rather pay you heavy for five when they know they're going to get production out of it and get it off the books and find other ways to win. So I think that's that's the what Correa is running into. The injury history, the prediction, and unfortunately, it's some of the perception. The Astros reportedly are adding a new director of player development, Sarah Goodrum, who was a minor league hitting instructor for the Milwaukee Brewers. Neither team at this point has announced officially uh, about this hire for the Houston Astros. 
I always think it's great when people who are underrepresented in the game um, climb the ranks. I think that's, I mean, that's great for the development and growth of the sport. What can you tell us about Sarah Goodrum? Do you have any experience with her? I don't have any experience with her. Um, you know, I, full disclosure, I had this pretty much the moment it happened. So I'm just not going to get into how that that's it's irrelevant. Sources around the game are what they are, but I had it ahead of some some of the major news. It's just what it is. I had it fast. So um, what I can say about this is, you know, doing the homework I've got. She was softball player at University of Oregon. I want to say she's 28 or 29 years old. Um, she was the Brewers' she, exercise science background. Built some some um, motion labs and some studies and some um, productive movement science, uh, you know, in laboratories, um, was the minor league hitting coordinator there for a year, less than a year, and is now the director of player development for the Astros. That seems like a huge jump to me. What I would say is this. I would say that anytime people are blazing a trail, because this is definitely her, her blazing a trail, right? Um, they need to be prepared for that trail. They need to be able to execute the core duties of that of the position or the trail that they're going to be pushing forward because you kind of get one shot when you're the first and then you have to have somebody else come behind you. Um, it's why Branch Rickey chose Jackie Robinson um, instead of some of the players that were better at the time. It's because he was equipped to handle this and be able to have an impact on the game on and off the field. Um, I'm certainly not calling her Jackie Robinson, but when a woman becomes a director of player development, which I think it's the first time ever, that's that's blazing a trail. So, you know, she has to be prepared when she steps in to lead. She has to be prepared when she steps in to um, be responsible for charting the growth and, and development of not only the future Astros. A lot of these players aren't going to get to the big leagues at all or big leagues with the Astros if they do. She is leading now players who are the organizations reliant on for success. She's leading coaches who the organizations reliant on to for the success. So her programs and her thoughts have to be able to take the scouting vision, because all, all scouts, no matter how with their background, have a vision, and mold that vision into reality. And I hope for the women that come behind her, she's prepared to do that. I hope that James Click, and I'm assuming Pete Patilla was part of that process as well, have somebody who can do that. Because if they don't, then it's not just about the players that aren't developing properly in the system, if that's the case. It's about women who would come behind her in that role. Now there's an automatic, well, can they? So the background is is, is definitely um, impressive for what she's done. I think one year as a hitting coordinator is extremely fast. You have to ask yourself what kind of pool they, they spoke to or if this is something they targeted right away, right? Um, because the experience doesn't seem to add up. That said, maybe that's what they wanted. Maybe they wanted somebody with no experience. Maybe they wanted somebody who had limited this, who was back. That's if that's what they wanted to do, man. Look, they have every right to go do that in the organization. But the fact remains, this woman is going to have to. This woman, or if it was a guy, I'd say the same thing with one year experience. And I just, I, 
this person is going to have to lead and ensure and shepherd the player development of the future Astros to help win a, win a championship. And it makes it doubly or triply or quadruply important that it's a woman doing it because she's the first one. So I hope, wish her the best. I hope she's successful. Um, and, I, and I hope that this is done properly because there's a lot on the line for women behind her. It's funny when you mentioned about a director of player development and what the scouts provide, because it always brings me back to a coach telling me that there are times he'll look at a prospect or a player that the scouts saw and signed and brought into the organization. And the coaches are like, what did they see in this guy? Like, what? I, I can't work with this. And then sometimes you have the scouts on the other side saying, I gave them this great piece of clay. Why can't these guys mold this guy into a productive player? I just always find it very funny that, that I don't want to call it a constant tug of war, but yeah. that interesting back and forth that um, I've heard throughout my career in covering baseball. I just find it very funny about how the scouts look at it one way and the coaches certainly look at it at a, at, at another, in another way. Well, that, I mean, it's always been that way. And, and, you know, the key is that whoever's leading that together in player development has to ensure that they're building three different types of players. You know, one's major league players for the, for the organization that they're in. Um, the second level is, is players in the prospects and the role value that you can trade. And the third level is players who can help the organization win while they're in the system and help the players that are going to play in the big leagues get better. And you don't necessarily tell those kids – or those players who they are, who's what in what category, but that's the job of a minor league director, a farm director. You have to ask if she understands what that's about, if she's had enough time to learn what that's about. That's it's not, I mean, it doesn't mean she couldn't get it. It just means there's enough time to do it. So, um, you know, look, I, I wish, I, I, I wish her really the best of luck because this is a Jackie Robinson type situation from a gender position you know it's like Kim Ng is the first GM that's a woman that's a big deal like you're, you're charting territory for a gender here so I wish her the best and and um you know I hope that James Click and Pete Patilla uh you know understood what they were doing and understood the situation that they're in and they got somebody who can carry it so it appears at this point there will be no winter meetings because there will be no CBA what will you miss most about not being at the winter meetings and what will you miss the least Jeremy um, man, my winter meetings were always pretty productive, you know, I mean, um, whether it was a club side or whether it was, you know, in the last five years or so, there's a lot to do with, with reconnecting. There's a lot to do with, with setting the chart for 22 or 23, even, um, there's a lot to do with, uh, going over, you know, past wins and losses, there's presentations, there's business to be conducted. It moves pretty fast. Um, you know, I'm not one for the social our part of it very often, you know, I tend to get off site and hang out with the people that are, I go to war with a little bit, or I, I have, you know, I spend my time hold up in meetings most of the day. And uh, from a, you know, from a media side, I go get the story and I go back and get, you know, cut a nice little promo for you guys. And we're good to go, you know, for the station. So it's, it's, um, it's a lot of fun to be out there. It gets a little old after the first three days. And, and what I hope is that it comes back and it's productive last couple of years, it really gotten into people just show up to, to hang out instead of getting business done. You know, and it really is, it's, it's a place you get a lot of stuff done. So I have to admit, I've never covered one. Really? Haven't been no. to one. 
if they pick up pace and you're able to get stuff done, it's a lot of fun. How about James Paxton to the Red Sox? That just happened? No. It happened earlier today. Yeah, so today. Waka, Rich Hill, and James Paxton now joining the Red Sox. Paxton can't pitch till later in the year. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. He was a pretty good pick in Seattle. He's never. Really I like James good. Paxton. Yeah, Mac did a good job on that. Um, uh, Jesse Capellas did a good job on that. You know, it was uh, it, it was one of those where the ability was always there, just never really could get it out of him. Um, Waka seems to be a reclamation project. I, you know, I love Michael Waka out of college. Um, he's got a heart of a champion. I wish him all the best. Rich Hill just is resilient, keeps pitching, picking the ball up. You know, Hein Bloom just adding depth, right? He's adding depth to that staff. And um, in today's day and age, you need to keep adding as much pitching as you can. We've all seen that. So, And I think it's interesting that James Paxton is – Really, one full season of, in New York. I mean, he won 15 games. He was 15 yeah, he and just, six. He hasn't been healthy, really healthy in a while, though. He can't seem to stay out there. Some, something has not been right with him every year for a while. So. Well, that was 2019. He really didn't pitch much in 2020. And then obviously, he pitched one game in 2021. There you go. All right, so. everybody. Well, let's cue the new theme music. Let's cue it. Let's hear how it sounds. Oh, yeah. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that new theme music picked by Jeremy Booth. Jeremy went through. I, I guess I forgot to mention this part. Jeremy says we need I'd like to get new theme music. So I basically sent you the URL of the, <laughs> the production company. And I was like, dude, you pick it because I'm going to sit here and go through all this music. How, how many minutes did you spend going through that catalog? Uh, Ten. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I don't know if I believe that. I, I mean, I know I just I stepped away and, and told you a few hours later what I wanted. But yeah, it wasn't that long. I, I like that one. What I wanted. It's, yeah, now, you the, told me to pick. it's now extra bases with Booth. You told me to pick. I get to pick. So it's, that was my choice. All right, everybody. Till next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.